Welcome to Southside Community Church. Enjoy our Sunday morning message. There's going to be some talking in the congregation this morning. <laughs> Maybe. Not going to happen. All right. All right. Good to see everybody. How are you doing? Good. Uh, I'm, I'm just going to ignore every voice that starts talking to me during the... <laughs> no. So the last couple weeks, um, I've been saying that this week we're doing a one-off teaching. That means we're gonna, it's a series of one. And then next week we're jumping into the book of Ephesians. And that's going to be a long stretch of time. And I'm really excited about that because I do better when I'm anchored in a text for a long stretch of time. And Ephesians is a beast of a book. So you can be praying for me, the toughest book in the New Testament, um, for a lot of reasons, even tougher than Revelation, the second toughest book in the Bible behind Isaiah. So it's going to be some really, really good learning, some dynamic things that we're going to learn. Today, though, is our annual message on money and giving. Um, this, this happens one out of 52 Sundays. We talk about this. And so this is the time that if, you got, if you're on the pastor's note, uh, you know this already. Uh, this is the time that we, we make the budget available because we're not trying to hide anything from anybody. So if you want a copy of the budget, it's available after service. It's at the welcome desk. You could go get a copy right now if you want to. Um, and whenever we pass the budget out, it usually happens early February. Uh, we, also, we also do a little spiel on giving just because Jesus talks about it a lot. So I figure that we should... But it's also something that's been really like, it, it, there's a lot of cynicism in the church against giving, and rightly so, just because it's something that so many churches have abused. And um, we, you know, we, think, we see pictures on TV of pastors living in these mansions and uh, with like these you know, extravagant garages full of cars. It's insane. It's a plague to the church. It's a plague to the gospel. And so there has been people that have misrepresented the heart of Christ with money in pastors. And they're going to have to answer for that. I mean, that's, a, that's not a good thing. Um, and I wouldn't recommend listening uh, to, to those pastors. Um, so we want to handle this with integrity because we know that it's, you know, there's a lot of cynicism in this area. And because of that, I always qualify these talks um, just to let you know where we stand. I usually like diving right in, well, not right in, but pretty quickly getting into the text. But this one, there needs to be some qualifications because of the sensitivity and the past abuses of other, other churches and other ministries. The first thing that you need to know is I don't look at giving records. Now, there's, um, there are wonderful, smart, intelligent, godly pastors who would disagree with me on this, and it's one of those things, it's kind of pastor's choice. It would be, I don't feel like it would be wrong for me to look at the giving records at all. In fact, it's probably a tool that I could use for discipleship, and that's how a lot of people use it, but I know me, and I don't want to like treat people different who give and who don't. Um, Kara sometimes, and she's 
you know, she sometimes has to look at some things because she prints out uh, giving reports and our finance lead, Sean Lally, uh, also is able to see some things, but I know they're not like looking to see. And, and I tell them, I don't wanna know anything just because I want to be able to lead completely unbiased. I want to be able to shepherd completely unbiased. So that's the first thing that you need to know. I'm like, I don't even know who in this room uh, gives and who doesn't. I do know that there are some families, I do know this, I've been clued in, there are some families who give very generously in this room and uh, who carry a lot of the heavy lifting with our ministry and uh, we would probably all be surprised if we saw who it was, and I think they like it like that. The, the thing that I like about those families is they don't care if I know or not. They don't do it for that. That's not the reason they do it. So that's a beautiful thing. The second thing that you probably need to know is giving is one of those areas that will be made public, though, one day when Jesus returns. Uh, there are things that we do in secret now that nobody knows and Jesus says, when you do these things out of love, out of support, um, out of wanting to help the saints, out of wanting to contribute to the church, when you do these things secret, there are certain things that when he returns, he will make sure that everybody knows. It's an amazing thing to think about. There are a handful of things in scripture like that. I think giving is one of them. First Corinthians 4 or 5 says, therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. I think giving fits under that category where Jesus is going to come back and he's going to say, um, this person did this. This I don't know how long that's going to take. We have all of eternity. It could take for a million years and it'd be fine. But he's going to let people know things that were done in secret by you, and he's going to openly reward you. It's kind of a cool thing to think about, and it's okay to have that type of motivation. It's not our primary motivation for doing things in secret, but knowing that we're going to be rewarded by Jesus is a legitimate biblical motivation. And the third thing that you need to know is uh, Thursday night I was, I was actually right here pacing up and down this aisle. I had um, a premarital counseling session with some crazy people that didn't want to cancel. And uh, <clears throat> so it was, it was a little wild outside. This parking lot looks much better than it did then. But I was in here beforehand and I was just walking up and down this aisle. I was praying. And I do that sometimes. I come in, I turn all the lights off and I'll just be walking around the church and praying for different ministries in different areas. And I was asking the Lord, what do you want me to, like, how can I be a better pastor? What do you want to shore up in me? Show me things that maybe um, you want me to do better. And in the next couple of days, he reminded me of this, this equation that uh, Alex actually used this to write some principles for our community groups in a beautiful document. We got this from Ray Ortland. He's a, he's a pastor and just an awesome guy, and I, he's one of the pastors I really look up to, I really admire, really respect, and kind of want to be like one day. Um, Ray Ortland says, what people really need in the church in order to grow is gospel plus safety plus time. Plenty of gospel, where you're hearing the goodness of God through Jesus and what he's done for us, and how he's invited us into his kingdom and family forever, and committed to to care for us for all of eternity. 
because of what Christ has done. They need to hear that over and over and over. And then safety. This church needs to be a place where you don't feel condemned, you don't feel exposed, you don't feel nervous about you know, the pastor calling you out up front, things like that. We're not, we're not going to be like that. Uh, we want to be more like the heart of Jesus as he describes himself in passages like Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 where he's gentle and lowly of heart. If a Christian is more arrogant than Jesus, that's a problem. And there's a lot of arrogant Christians today. And we don't want to be like that. We want to be gracious and humble and kind and sincere and loving because that's the type of atmosphere that you can actually grow in. Grace is the atmosphere in which most spiritual growth happens best. And then time. We're not in a rush. This is going to happen. You're going to grow over a course of years. Sanctification isn't immediate in most things because then it means it's just surface level. You're going through the motions and you're going to get very proud about how good you are as a Christian. Sanctification takes time. It has to get down deep inside of you, and the Spirit changes you internally before it manifests itself on the outside. So there's no pressure. We're not rushing this. Gospel and safety and time. Keep that in mind as we're talking about money today. If I went to an average church, and I was a guest preacher, and I preached about prayer, do you think people would get offended by that? Probably not. They would probably expect that I would talk about prayer. That's a normal thing. You, you know, you're going to want us to pray. That's how we communicate with the Lord. So that's a normal thing we should talk about. What if I talked about giving and money? Do you think anybody would be offended by that? Probably a lot. A lot of people would be offended. And I might be in that. I might be too. It's funny that Jesus talked more about money than he did prayer. Isn't that interesting? Why is that? Because for some people, money is the last thing we're willing to release. It's the thing, it's the thing that still has a grip on our hearts. You know, it's like, I felt like this before. God, you can have you can take my whole life, any part of me that you want, any part of my life that you want. Whenever I say that, like, don't say that unless you mean it, because he's going to go to the one thing you don't want to give him. And for a lot of people, it's like, you can have my whole life. Not that. We'll figure something else out. You can't have that. And that's money for a lot of people. And it's probably because it's one of the things that we really worship in our culture. It's an idol. It, it, it serves as, a, as, as our God instead of God. And the problem is if there's anything in, your, in our lives that we're not willing to surrender to him, that's the thing he's going to go after. Because that's the thing that, we, that communicates to him through our actions that we don't actually trust you. We don't actually trust you. Now, for some people who are learning about the real Jesus later in life, um, this is an area where some people have exercised instant obedience. Like, it's, it's, let me put it this way. It's harder to talk to church folk about giving than it is someone who's new to this and is excited about Jesus. Because a lot of times, people who are excited about Jesus and knew this, they'll be like, what, this is what the Bible says to do? What's the problem? Do it. 
Let's do it. Let's get it done. That's why a lot of times revival happens in the fringe areas of the church. Like the people who are just now waking up to the gospel of Jesus are the ones that serve to tell the rest of the church, what are you guys doing? Let's go. This is what he says to do. What's the problem? Do we trust him or not? Revival happens in the, in the parts of the church that you would least expect it. It doesn't usually happen in the people that have been going to church for 50 years. Sometimes it does. But it's often the fringe. Often the people that make us little, like, what are they going to say? What are they going to do? I love those people. I think Jesus did too. For other people, surrendering our money is a hard place to get to. It took me a while. My first years uh, in ministry in 2000, I was working 78 to 80 hours a week at a church in Strongsville. And, I mean, I was single, so what else was I going to do? I didn't know anybody in the area when I moved there. And I was making like $20,000 a year, seriously. And I was, this was a real struggle for me. I couldn't get enough hamburger helper to cover me for the week. And I was like, I don't, what do you want me to do here, God? Like, I, I'm living poverty level, essentially, and I'm living in Strongsville. It's not a cheap place to live. Do I you really need me to give money to this church, too? Like, aren't I doing enough? And, and um, that was a struggle for about a year. At the end of it, I just sensed God was saying, you don't get to make the rules. And two, what's your deal with money? And so I understand this can be a tough area because I struggled with it for a year. And what I want us to do is look at 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 12. And I want us to consider two shifts that God is inviting us to consider as it relates to our finances. Now, I got to say this too because this is a big passage. And I'm not super comfortable just drawing a couple principles out of passages, I think that's sometimes a cheap way out. I think it's better to read a passage in its context and really do a deep dive into the surrounding, like what's Paul speaking to here? What's he talking about? So I'm not as comfortable teaching this way as I am what we're gonna be starting next week, a really slow stroll through a long passage of scripture for an extended amount of time. I, I, don't, I don't like just extracting principles usually. Um, so this is a little uncomfortable for me, but there are two principles in here that are, that are spiritual principles that I think it's worth us thinking about and considering about. They do highlight the goodness of God in some cool ways. So I'm just gonna read it, and then we'll talk about it. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 12. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Okay, so, you know, those, those churches that they pass the offering plate and then they count during service. The end of service, they tell the pastor what, what the offering was. He's like, it wasn't enough. Dig a little bit deeper into your pockets. That's insane. That's like having people give under compulsion. You couldn't be any further from how you're supposed to treat that. You, when people give, it's supposed to be thoughtful. They're supposed to have prayed about it and thought about it. If they're married with their spouse, 
you know, to, what, what does it look like for us to support and give to this ministry so that the word of God can spread? There, we're, we're not supposed to guilt people into that. That's crazy. Um, all right, not reluctantly or under compulsion, like in the moment. Ugh. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times. That sounds comprehensive, doesn't it? You may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way, to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. In other words, not only supplying physical needs, it's, it's supplying um, spiritual needs. Because a mark of spiritual maturity, one of the ones that you can't hide is thankfulness. If you're cynical about your life and, um, and you're not grateful, you're not constantly expressing gratitude to God, it, it tells you where you're at spiritually. It's one of the great marks of spirituality. It's one of the great marks of maturity, a thankful heart. A heart that doesn't complain. Now, I've, I've personally experienced this uh, through your giving. Just, I've had times in here and at the Best Western we were there where I'm just like on my knees praising God, thanking God for the ways that he's provided. One of our last uh, services at the Best Western, um, I forget exactly when it was, but it was after COVID, obviously, and our numbers were pretty low. Was, you know, people were having a hard time coming back to church. And our giving was really low, like to the point where I'm starting to think, uh, we're going we're gonna to have to figure something out here. And I remember, I don't know if you remember this, Pastor Al, but um, Alex and Kara and I were talking one time after one of the services. I, I think everyone had left and something, like we, I was locking up or something, and we all just kind of huddled and talked, and we were, I just said, yeah, I, the giving is pre pretty low and it's okay, I get it, I understand, because that's where people are at. I'm, I'm not mad about it, it's just a matter of fact that the, the giving is kind of low. And we all just decided, doesn't matter, whatever happens, we're in. We're not going to go chase some other lead pastor job, we're not going to, like, we're staying here. We love these people too much, we love what God's doing here, there's no way we're leaving. If we have to paint houses with Alex, we'll do that, and we have to add to a cleaning business, clean offices, we'll do whatever it takes. We're not leaving. We're not stopping. We're going to be here for the people that are here for us. So, um, and I know court feels the same way, our kids minister. So we're not in it for the money. <laughs> and then we moved into this building and God brought some families and it, it was miraculous. And there have been, like I said, nights in here where I'm just like, God, I can't believe how much you've provided, how you've brought people to this church family who are, I, I think, actually gifted in giving and generosity and have carried us through these years. It's unbelievable. It feels miraculous that we're all sitting in this room right now having church together. 
So I'm grateful to the Lord for that. I'm grateful for you guys for that. Um, so here's two shifts that I want to pull out of this passage. First, a shift from seeing it as my money to seeing it as God's money. So look again, verse, uh, verses 8 through 11. And I'm not going to read all of those. You can underline these parts if you want, but I want to highlight the, the parts of these verses that talk about what God commits to do for us. And what we see is God is the generous and overflowing provider, and we are the receivers. There, there's this, I've said this word a few times here, the aseity of God. It means that God is self-sufficient in and of himself. He's the only being, he's the only thing in the universe that's self-sufficient. And out of his sufficiency, he pours into our lives. We're not self-sufficient. We need him, so we receive from him. Here's, here's what he has promised to do for us. God is the generous and overflowing provider. We are the receivers. God's the giver, we're the receivers. We can't mess that up. So I'm going to read the parts that, verses 8 through 11, that God has done for us. God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, he's going to make sure you're okay. He's going to make sure you have everything you need. That's why I was able to say, and Alex and Kara and I were able to say, we're not leaving, because we feel like this is where God has us, and he's going to take care of us, so I'm not worried about it. Let's go ahead a little bit. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. He distributes. And he uses means to those ends. He doesn't just like drop $100 bills you know, into your front yard. He uses means to these ends. So he provides jobs. He provides work. He provides sometimes surprise checks. He, he does things through people, which is kind of the point but it's from him. Let's jump ahead a little bit. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing. Jump ahead about a little bit. You will be enriched in every way. It's God's money. It is. And a disciple of the world asks, what am I going to do with my money? A disciple of Jesus asks, what am I going to do with God's money? In our premarital counseling material, um, we say God is not asking you for 10%. He's giving you 90% of what's already 100% his. That's true. God's not asking you for 10%. He's giving you 90% of what's already 100% his. Now, there's a lot of debate uh, around this, and, and some of you will probably want to make sure that I know this. You'll catch me after service or you'll email me or something and I love you and I get it, I understand. I do know that there's conversation happening around is the tithe relevant for today? I understand that's a debate. I understand there's a lot of conversation, a lot of opinion about that. Is the tithe still relevant for today or is it just an Old Testament thing? And I hear, I, I've, I've read the books and I've listened to some of the lectures about this. And I don't think it's just an Old Testament thing. You'd be hard-pressed to show me that in Scripture. Um, I know there's a couple places that people tend to, to go to. I don't think it's saying exactly what people think it's saying. Um, sometimes people, when we're having this conversation, it's a friendly debate. It's not people aren't angry at me. They're just, it's just a friendly debate, which is what it should be. They go to Mark 12, 41 through 44. It's the, it's the section where the, the widow goes and, and drops two coins in the, 
And she's at the temple, she goes up and gives her offering, and it's like two coins, it's, it equals a penny, maybe a little less than a penny even. And so people will say, like, Jesus, like, radically affirms her. He pulls his disciples aside and says, boom, there you go, that's, what, that's it right there. She's doing it right. And so they'll say, see, she gave a penny, and God really affirmed it. So if I give a penny, that's, Jesus is still happy about that. But I don't think that passage is saying what they think it's saying. I don't, I'm always like, you've got to read the whole thing, like read the passage, because what's he affirming? He's affirming, verse 44 says, she gave everything she had to live on. So I'm like, I, there are other passages that you can use. I wouldn't use that one because, yeah, she didn't give 10%. She gave 100%. It doesn't matter how much it was. She gave it all. And now if you're talking, here's another thing that I need to say just as your, as your pastor in this. Um, it's just the wrong question. It's the wrong question. Should I tithe or not? It's like when I was a youth pastor and a couple started dating, I always got nervous when couples started dating in the youth group. It's like, oh, here we go. So a couple started dating in the youth group. And I'd be like, all right, I got to pull them into the office. I'd sit down and be like, okay, so you guys are dating now. You're, it's fine. Um, let's, let's talk about, <laughs> let's, let's talk about, and I'm not in the weird purity culture stuff, but I, let's just talk about how you're going to be careful and be cautious and, you know, really guard your hearts. I know that sounds like cliche, but there's something to, like, guard your hearts and your mind's in Christ Jesus here, so what are you going to do to take care of that? And inevitably, usually it's the guy, will ask, just, I know this is sounding crazy, but how far technically are we allowed to go before it's actually sin? I'm just like, oh man, you're killing me. Killing me. Uh, you guys are done. You know what? You're not dating anymore. This is, I'm going to talk to your parents. You're going you're gonna to start going to... Uh, so many things to say about that, but I, um, it's the wrong question, you know? It's the wrong question. It's the wrong spirit. Uh, I provided, you can read this on your own in your notes. There's a, there's a few paragraphs by D.A. Carson. I think he addresses this really well. He's a lot smarter than I am, more eloquent than I am, and he's a good, he's a good theologian, and a, he has a pastor's heart, so he has some good things to say there. You can read that. But when you make the shift from seeing it as your money to God's money, a lot of these questions become irrelevant. Now, you still need to live, and you're allowed to enjoy your life. That's a beautiful thing about God. He's okay if you enjoy your life. Nobody's taking a vow of poverty here. Like my family and I, we love vacations. Vacations are important to us. We have some of our best times and you know, memories over vacations, and we don't do like the, you know, the Christian campground where it's like, if you're a pastor, you and your family can set up a tent here for free for the week. It's like, that's so lame. We, like, we want to go someplace where it's, it's actually fun. We're enjoying it. You know, last year we went to Epcot Center. There's, there's places that we really, really like. And I, I, I'm glad that people do that. It's really nice. Um, but my family wants to go some other places. So we're not saying that you're not allowed enjoying your life. You should enjoy your life because the more you're enjoying your life, the more you're enjoying God. It's kind of the same. You're enjoying the giver along with the gifts. So one of the strategies that we share, again, a lot of this is just very practical. In our premarital counseling, uh, John and Kaya just, just went over this uh, a couple weeks ago with me, is a stewardship strategy. And we say 10-10-80. It's in your notes. 
Tithe 10%, I tell them whatever church you're attending, offering is above and beyond that. Offering is a free will generous gift above and beyond a tithe. Um, I don't think we need to get too technical here, but a lot of times I'll, I'll officiate weddings of people that were in my past youth groups, and so they're attending other churches, and I say, you should, you should give towards your church. Now, don't, don't give like what would be your 10% to me for this. You need to give that to your church, because um, that's your body, that's your, that's your family. And then save 10%, and then 80% is living beneath your means. Uh, most people don't live beneath their means. And this is a hard thing to get to, and um, we don't do it perfectly. And, and I also want to say, if you can't afford this, and I don't want to shame, I don't want anyone to be embarrassed or ashamed or feel condemned at all. If you can't afford this, it's okay. If you're living paycheck to paycheck, it's okay. If this isn't reasonable for you right now, that's okay. And the question I want you to ask is, how can I begin to exercise my faith in this area? You can't give 10%. Maybe, maybe you have a, a chunk of money. You say, you know, we're just going to give this. We're going to give this regular to our church. Let's pray about it and think about it. It would stretch our faith a little bit. This is what we're going to give. That's okay. That's good. Anything that's stretching your faith is a really good thing. Because whatever you do by faith, God will reward. That's what he promises. It's whatever you do by faith, he will reward. There are some scriptures for you to consider in your notes. You can read those on your own sometime. A second shift I want us to consider that God is inviting us into is a shift from stinginess to generosity, from guarded to open-handed, from skeptical to trusting, from scarcity to abundance. If there's any area in your life, finances just happens to be a big one for us. We're, you know, we're a culture that's very guarded about our, our money. But if there's any area in your life where you're stingy, that's the thing that's going to keep God's goodness from flowing into your life. And not necessarily through, you know, making you wealthy or anything, but by all sorts of ways that he makes our lives better. Whenever you hold on to something with closed hands like this, and you say, everything but this, Lord, um, you're stunting your spiritual growth. You become smaller. The longer you hold on to that, you think you're controlling that, it's controlling you. And you become smaller and smaller and more and more narrow. And you cut yourself off from God's peace and joy and goodness because you're showing him, I don't really trust you, so, so why should he give you an experience of those things? Man, I love you, and there's things that I, that I hold on to and I struggle to, and, um, but he really is good. He really is trustworthy. You can trust him. You can trust him. He's not gonna leave you hanging out to dry if you let go of something. He's gonna make you bigger and more able on the inside to do those things. Malachi 3, 7 through 10, which is one of those, it's, that's just Old Testament. It's one of those in, in, in that I ask you to consider in your notes. And God's talking to the Israelites and he says, um, you guys have been robbing me of my tithe. And he says, if you just trust me in this, if you just give it, you're, you're hanging on to it because you trust that to provide for you instead of me. If you just let go of that and let me be God, because I own everything and I'll take care of you if you act in trust towards me. If you just let me be God, he says, I'll throw open the floodgates of heaven so much you won't have enough room for it. You want to see how good I am? Let go. That's what he says. 
And that's for everything. He's talking specifically about, about money there. We receive from God in the same manner that we give. We see this in verse six. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And for a parallel passage, Jesus says something like this too. He says in Luke 6.38, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Right from the horse's mouth. He said it. Jesus said it. That's why for me, this isn't, this isn't a south side thing. If you think this is about south side, if you think this is about me, you don't know me. This isn't about me. That's why I don't even look at your giving records. This is about you. This is a discipleship thing. This is a heart issue. If you want to know if you trust God or not, look at your money. Jesus talks about it a ton. A ton. We talk about it one Sunday out of 52, and I, I think I should probably stop apologizing for it because Jesus seemed pretty serious about it. Proverbs eleven twenty four and 25 says, One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers one. You see this in people, don't you? I mean, I know, I know, some, some, I know some people in here, some extremely generous people, and God is just blessing their socks off. And this isn't prosperity gospel. This is just God saying, You trust me, I'm going to do some good things for you. Prosperity gospel says you're putting God in a corner. I did this for you, now you have to do this for me. This is saying, my heart is, if my heart is generous, God's going to be generous towards me. And not necessarily reciprocating the same thing, like I just gave a hundred bucks, that's my seed, give me a thousand dollars, I just gave a hundred. No, he's going he's gonna to give you something that's probably even better. If you need it, if that's, gonna, if that's what you need in that moment, then that's what he'll provide. But it says it right there. Jesus, Jesus is clear. Proverbs eleven twenty four and 25 is clear. 25 says, whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. And I've seen people who have been stingy, and they've gotten smaller on the inside, and, and, and more controlling of their life, and more controlling of their stuff, and then their stuff begins to control them, and it's just a really, it's a really ugly spiritual dynamic. And then I've seen people who are just so open-handed, and I'm looking at them like, some of them are extremely generous and some of them are, um, they're giving out of their scarcity and God begins to bless their spiritual lives in some ways that, man, that person is so fired up for Jesus. They are so on fire for God. The Spirit is doing something in them. So God blesses us in different ways. It's, we're becoming the type of people that he can trust with more. That's what it is. The more you give away in whatever category of your life, the more you become the type of person that God can entrust with power and with stuff. And he gives to those people freely. He just does. <laughs> he just does. All right, that's enough. You guys don't need to hear me talk about this anymore. We'll talk about it again next February. I won't, I won't be talking about money anymore this year. Um, but I put copies of our budget. It's out on the Welcome Center, uh, you, can, you can see where every penny goes. Um, 
You can also, if, that, if those are gone by the time you go out there, you can email me, my information's on the bulletin, and I'll send you a copy. Next week, we're going to jump into Ephesians, and it is packed with all sorts of spiritual dynamism. It is so rich, and it is so good. You will be changed. You'll become a different person. Sit with us through this whole, it's going to be like a 12-year study on Ephesians. It's going to be a really long time. I'm actually debating on just doing the first verse next week. I mean, it is so good. It's so good. So join us next week for that. It's going to be rich. All right, let's pray, and uh, we can have our band come back up here. Thank you for listening. Check out our website at southsideworcester.com.